Hello listeners! Before we kick off this week's episode, I wanted to provide a disclaimer to say that the recording took place right before the lockdown measures in England were announced. The situation has obviously changed dramatically since, but we didn't want to disappoint our listeners by postponing the episode for a full re-record. Please rest assured we are working incredibly hard at camera to respond to the latest measures and have already written to the cabinet office to demand the removal of the proposed ban on pubs and brewers selling takeaway beer during lockdown. You can email your MP about this important issue by visiting the link in the show notes below. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Pubs, Pints, People. My name is Katie Wiles and I'm joined as ever by the lovely Matt Bundy and Aunt Furillo. Hello guys. Hello. 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 Welcome back Katie. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to kick off by saying a huge thanks to Claire for stepping in last week. And she's going to be joining the show a bit more regularly throughout this season and hopefully we'll step into my shoes next year when I head off on maternity leave. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. For any of our listeners, it's a great example of just getting involved if you want to we do always encourage it and we're already starting to plan season three so really could use your help we need interviewers producers script writers and hosts to get involved so if you've got a burning desire or you even do it for a living get involved get in touch hey and don't forget i'll be away for a few weeks as well because i'm also well i'm not having a baby technically (laughs) my wife is having the baby but we're going to be welcoming our second child into the world as well indeed come and join us now last podcast was all about beer and cider tasting um, I think we can all agree how impressive Claire's encyclopedic knowledge was on the beer side. If you remember in that podcast, though, I think Claire and Ant were very much team beer, as expected. And of course, I thought I would be team cider. But I'm afraid I let the team down with my choice for last oh. orders. I went for a beer. <laughs> if you were going to say this this week. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was nervous at the time. And it has <laughs> some quite rightful rumbles of discontent on Twitter from my cider brethren. Uh, so uh, as an example, we're going to be reading out a lot more tweets later but fan at camera got in touch they said surprise to not see a cider in the final orders tut tut mr bundy (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys your apple committee membership card goodbye mate (laughs) it it has gone it has gone and and i talked with claire about my scorn for fruity drinks that called themselves cider not real ciders you know they've never seen an apple and claire actually convinced me to make an exception for a delicious rhubarb cider she likes at a local but it turns out maybe she was she was being a stealth agent for team beer again so it turns out we've been told on twitter that that's not a real cider either i'd say I, I think Claire is. Claire, I think Claire was a secret agent sent by the Apple Committee to keep me out, <laughs> or to test, or to test you, Mister Bundy, or to test me, and I failed miserably once oh. again. It's a safe space for learning here, guys. <laughs> Learn and discover. I was wondering about that one though, with that rhubarb cider. But you know, joking aside, it, it just highlights the issue is so much more complicated for cider than with beer, doesn't it? Because you've got all these nuances of key keg, etc., and there isn't actually a clear definition of real cider so you can kind of be forgiven because not everyone agrees that there is a real definition mr bundy but the cider gang actually recommends that claire checks out nightingale in kent their tenterdon is still and like a juicy white wine while their wild disco great name is sparkling of gorgeous <laughs> tropical fruit notes yum now before we dive too far down the twitter rabbit hole uh, we're gonna have to turn our attention to this week's topic which is all about the well-being and mental health benefits of pub going something that i suspect quite a lot of people will probably be missing with the current circumstances as we're seeing more areas being plunged into local lockdowns. Mm. 
It's been really strange, hasn't it? I mean, even with pubs back open, which has been great to see, obviously, I mean, it's not been quite the same. The main thing about going to pub is people being together and we are now quite rightly and deliberately kept apart. But I think there's been some amazing stories of pubs playing a hugely important role in bringing communities together. And that's become even more poignant during COVID. Most certainly has, Matt. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And the fact, and in fact, I think I saw some great examples released by camera last week of pubs across England stepping in to offer free children's meetings Meals during half term has uh, been in the news uh, over the past weeks. It's super important, very topical. Uh, you know, places like the Railway Tavern in Norfolk and the Crown in Hastings both jumping on board with that. And I think it really shows how, despite pubs facing existential crisis to COVID 19, they are still selflessly supporting their communities when times are tough. And we know from our episode on charitable beers last season what an important role that pubs play in raising money for charity and when you think about it even the layout of the pub is specifically designed to bring communities together, encourage that social interaction with a bar setting, obviously not super compatible with COVID restrictions Mm. at the moment. But, you know, there's a real reason why so many revolutions and social ideas have been formed within the pub environment over the centuries. Well, lest we forget that camera itself was forged over beers around the table. Absolutely. One of the best revolution of all. Now, obviously, we hope that these essential characteristics of the pub, the open spaces and bar service, we hope they'll be back soon when it's safe to do so. But... I think it's important to remember that there's so much that pubs are doing to keep communities together, even if the restrictions inside the pub are making that difficult. And I think our pubs out there want to do all they can. And that's why this week we're going to sit down with the esteemed professor Robin Dunbar from Oxford University, who's commissioned a report for camera actually called Friends on Tap. And he did that back in 2015, which proves without a doubt that pubs are absolutely vital to our local communities. That was five years ago. It's still very prevalent today and probably even more so, I'd say. We're then going to have a chat with Will Hawks, who is the beer and travel writer. He recently wrote a really great piece for Cameras Beer magazine about the mental well-being benefits of pub going. So we'll have a chat with him a bit more about that. We're also going to hear from Alison Taff from the Hop-In Microbrewery, who'll be telling us in a short bonus clip how important pubs really are. And that's from the other side of the bar. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's hand over to Katie for her chat with Professor Robin Dunbar. Today I'm sitting down with Professor Robin Dunbar of Oxford University. We commissioned Professor Dunbar to put together a report to look at the important role that pubs play in bringing people together, which was entitled Friends on Tap. Professor Dunbar, can you tell us a bit about the report? Well, we did. I guess there were two parts to the report. One was a big national survey to try and get a sort of big picture of how much people made use of pubs and, and, and how they built their friendships in pubs. And then we set about looking at the sort of micro level within that by doing some studies across half a dozen pubs or so within the, the city. So what were some of your key findings from that report? So I think the key findings from the report really, and and both parts, both the sort of national survey and the kind of more detailed studies we did actually in pubs with punters within the pub, point in the same, very much the same direction that the more often people went drinking in pubs, the more friends they had, the more contented they felt, the happier they were the more satisfied they were with their lives, the more engaged they were with their local community, and the more they trusted their local community, which is really interesting, actually. And there was a big distinction even within drinkers and the pub, as it were, between those who had a regular pub, a local, 
that they went to on a regular basis. And those who were just sort of casual drinkers at any old pub, wherever they happened to be, I didn't have a regular public. The people who had a regular local seemed to exhibit most of these qualities in to much greater extent than even sort of other drinkers who didn't have a local. What do you think it is about the local that makes it so special within this research? Well, the conclusion we came to really is that twofold in, in many ways. One is you get to meet people in a kind of relaxed and, uh, and fairly casual environment and you get to meet new people. But there's also that sense of, you know, the staff, they know who you are. You know, you can have a chat with them across the bar quite happily without either side feeling embarrassed about it even if there's nobody else in the pub uh, on that particular occasion but at mm. the end of the day it's it's having a regular community where everybody knows everybody else you don't have to go and introduce yourself to somebody as a sort of spare what's it in the corner of the room mm. and nobody will talk to you know you come in through the door and it's hello come and join us so there's that mm. sense of belonging as much as anything else the sense of being in a community what type of research did you do actually on the ground in pubs then well a lot of it was very similar to the kinds of questions that were asked in the national survey namely how many close friends do you have how engaged do you feel with your local community how uh, happy are you all these kind of well-being questions really Mm. Um, but now we were doing it on a much more personal and uh, and intimate sort of level on individuals we breathalyzed all of them <laughs> Just that must partly, have been interesting. <laughs> partly to see the quantity they'd drunk had made much difference. And in fact, they were incredibly sober lot, I thought. I was hoping you could tell us a bit about your background and what you teach at Oxford. What kind of led you into this path of researching pubs? Okay, so my background really is animal behaviour. Um, and the first half of my career was spent really studying monkeys in, in the wild. Um, and that got me interested in in studying human behavior, because obviously there are many similarities. Some years ago, we started to get into the dynamics of friendships, of relationships between individuals and and the mechanisms that are used in bonding friendships and obviously the the functions they serve. And sort of thinking in terms of humans, it got this much bigger picture than you have in monkeys and apes, where we use lots of behaviors which all trigger the same system that monkeys and apes do in the brain, the endorphin system. And these involve things like laughter and singing and dancing and storytelling, um, particularly emotional storytelling. And it, it began to dawn on me after a while that actually the many other things that we do in a social context, feasting in the sense of both eating and drinking alcohol together, a major component of what most cultures do when they're engaged in building and maintaining their friendships. And this mm. was one of the reasons we were particularly interested in having a look to see Um, what happened uh, in pubs. It's where, you know, traditionally, for most cultures, uh, there's always a place in the village, as it were, where people gather for a a quiet local beer or whatever the local stuff is. It's clear that there's a very long history of making and using alcohol in, in this sense. And the archaeologists now have very clear evidence from the residues in jars dating back 15,000 years in the Near East of the making of beer. In fact, one of the suggestions has been that the reason we invented uh, wheat growing and barley growing was not to make bread, but actually to make beer, because these ancient wheats and barleys didn't make very good dough, but they made a very nice kind of 
porridge that fermented mm. very well and turned itself into an alcoholic beverage. The role of pubs in communities goes back much, much further than the British yes. story, yes. really. It, and it's worldwide, yes. it sounds like, and it, very much linked in our psychology. Yes. And it turns out that, in fact, we share with the African great apes, that's the gorilla and the chimpanzee, but not with any other monkeys or apes. The None of the Asian apes have this adaptations of the two enzymes that allow us to convert alcohol back into sugars, essentially, and use it as an energy source. And um, it seems as though around 10 million years ago, our common ancestors of the African great apes, uh, in a period of, of dramatic climate change, when the forests of Africa were contracting like mad, and there wasn't much fruit around, that there was all this stuff on the floor which was quietly rotting away and nobody had been eating. But of course, rotten fruit or rotting fruit, overripe mm. fruit, has a, a, a considerable alcohol content. It's about the same as beer, somewhere yeah. between one and four percent. And if you can access the alcohol and convert it back into sugar, then you have a massive energy source, which other species can't handle. And other monkeys and the Asian apes, and indeed most other species animals, um, can't detoxified but uh, make that biochemical conversion as well as us so they get drunk <laughs> takes much longer for, for us we have to consume a great deal more uh, to have those kind of effects and when you did this study for camera you actually did look at the impact of alcohol consumption on yes. friendliness yes. and things and approachability and things like that yes. in essence what we found was a very classic u-shaped curve in which a little alcohol makes you more social, uh, partly because it disinhibits you, but also mm. makes, somehow sharpens up your mind to read and understand the, the social signals you're getting from somewhere else. So you kind of gel better with people. Of course, like all things in um, biology, if you have too, too much of it, you go over the hump and down the other side and, and it, it eventually becomes disastrous. I mean, this is true of sugar and salt and mm. uh, you name it a little of it's good for you too much is is bad for you but it seems that it really does kind of sharpen up your awareness and that's partly of the consequence i think of the endorphins that the alcohol is actually triggering in the brain these kind of are the the chemicals that make us sort of feel bonded towards other people very warm towards other people that's all things that we kind of know don't we but it's nice to have that Yes. scientific evidence that actually yes having a drink does make you a bit more sociable and a bit more outgoing so were there any outcomes of this report that really shocked and surprised you i think it was not so much just simply that provided evidence for things which people might be have already believed anyway I mean, a great deal of science actually consists of confirming what we've kind of intuited as it were because mm. we live in that world we we, we know about it but often, you know, this is people will always believe what they uh, want to believe. So it, it's, I guess, it's important to have firm uh, scientific evidence for the fact that uh, is actually beneficial for you to to engage. And I think that's the kind of context in which perhaps we were might be have been a bit surprised to some extent. In that, you know, the alcohol has had such a negative medical view taken of it, and it. Mm. it the last few years, well, this is not news, it's back to the temperance movements of the Victorian times, I suppose, too. And of course, it's true, if you drink too much of this stuff, just the same as if you have too much sugar or too much salt, 
it doesn't it really doesn't do you any good but that small quantities in moderation as it were really provide important benefits in our social world it's not it's not like oxygen we have to have it but it, it really helps oil the wheels of sociality as it mm. were you know perhaps a more nuanced view which says you know there are benefits but equally don't overdo it is is a more appropriate way to look at the the whole problem i think at the end of the day problem for us uh, you know as a society really is if we lose these kind of social hubs that the old traditional pub provided community then we we really do lose that semblance of social engagement with the wider community of social cohesion that is becoming ever more important in the modern world you know given that cheap alcohol in supermarkets has encouraged people to drink more at home and, and and not go out to the pub you know this can only be a bad thing in that it just leads to increasing isolation of course the knock on consequence of that is if people don't go to pubs then pubs end up uh, being uneconomic and and they close down as mm. as we know only too well what a lot of pubs have obviously done to try and sort of offset this is is go into the food business and and provide more of a restauranty sort of setup which is fine but the problem is you know we only go to restaurants in groups of 2 or 4 we don't go as a community or mm. on our own on spec on a saturday night knowing that Jim and Fred will probably be down there and uh, and we can sit and have a game of dominoes and a couple of pints with them. That was a fantastic interview, Walsey. It's great to get that scientific research to back up what we already know about how important pubs can be. You know, we know it in our hearts, don't we, but it's good to have a bit of science behind it. And loneliness is such a devastating issue in society, not only in older communities, it's all adult age groups and I don't think that anyone disagrees that the move from social drinking into a pub setting to kind of just sitting at home consuming alcohol, I mean it's not been a good one for the uh, for the mental health, has it? No. You know, and there's been a no. lot of loss, no. you know, in in that area we lost a lot of the benefits and it's only been exacerbated by COVID. It certainly has. And I think when pubs shut down, we really have to be mindful that for many people you're completely removing their lifeline to the outside world. Some people might go days or weeks without talking to another person in the absence of a pub. And you know if you're listening and you know somebody uh, from your local who you might not have seen for a while, try and reach out to them because it's probably going to make a big difference. I know that for example in my local, we always have those regulars who do come in and they all know each other. It's a huge part of their day and I know that they're doing the best to stay in touch whether that's just going for a walk or or picking up the phone or or otherwise. You hear so many stories about pubs reaching out to their communities during lockdown, setting up WhatsApp groups for regulars to keep in touch or hosting these like virtual quiz nights just to try and combat the isolation and loneliness during this really difficult year. I mean, I like the evidence in uh, Professor Dunbar's report that a bit of alcohol will open you up <laughs> and make you better at reading social cues. You know, I think that I think that's good. Not too much though. Then then you, no, no, then you no. might read them a bit read them a bit wrongly. Um but um, I, I, I think we all know that you know it's sometimes referred to as liquid confidence uh which is my nickname at school as well uh but it does it does make me know it wasn't a very shy boy um but it it does make me feel a bit better you know that there's a bit of science behind it and also not just me using it as an excuse yeah no completely it it, it also makes me a better darts player randomly but as you say definitely relaxes the nerves 
Um, but, you know, joking aside, despite COVID, we can at least all make an effort to keep our pubs open. Now, if you've not already got your copy of the 2021 Camera Good Beer Guide, it actually went on sale last week, which is actually quite amazing because our volunteers were actually able to get out to survey the nation's pubs and breweries despite the challenges faced this year. One bit of shocking news that has come out of the guide is that the national brewery numbers have in fact dipped for the first mm. time in nearly two decades, which is pretty mind-blowing because they've just been going up and up and up since 2008. And a lot of those closures were actually captured pre-COVID figures. So it's actually showing that the industry was in quite a vulnerable position before all the lockdown measures this year. Right. And it will be quite concerning to see what the impact of COVID will be for next year's and what the guide will be finding then. Look, I know we must sound like a broken record, but it's so important to remember the impact that COVID is having on our pubs and our breweries, which produce beer predominantly for pub sales. Um, it's all linked, isn't it? And yeah. Camera is keeping up the pressure on the government, demanding a better support package for those affected businesses. And you can support our campaigns by checking out the camera website and visiting camera.org.uk forward slash save our pubs for all the latest. And actually supporting pubs and breweries can be as simple as just visiting them. You know, there's no hard and fast thing here, guys and gals. It's very easy. If you can get out and you're in a comfortable position to do so, please do. And if you're currently in lockdown or an area that's going into that, don't forget we've still got the Brew to You app. It's a really great resource, free to download to see what pubs and breweries are offering in terms of deliveries and takeaways in your area. Keep getting yourselves involved and support our pubs. Fantastic. Well, I hope we're all hungry because now it's time, drumroll please, from the recipe from the one and only Sue. Ooh. <laughs> She's back. Uh, and this week we're being treated to a beautiful Welsh treat, the Welsh rarebit. Oh, yes. Welsh rarebit, an incredible staple that you can find in pubs up and down the country. The Welsh really know how to perfect a good old heartwarming, comforting, boozy snack, don't they? And I know it's something that Sue mentions. It's not as simple as making cheese on toast with beer. There really is an art to it. And the recipe does require a few particulars to make it the best it can be. So, you know, that really good cheddar cheese, yeah. some nice gorgeous sourdough bread, good malty ale, no, not bitter. Sue so no, is very clear on that. Sue used a 5.8% ale, uh, Bodman's Wildcat from the Cornish Brewery, Dower Camels. I'd say well, I'm, I'm worried now on Twitter about the Welsh crowd. <laughs> you know, uh, when using a non-Welsh beer in a Welsh rabbit, we're sorry. This is, you know, we'll... I'm sure if you know a good Welsh beard to put in it, please tweet it in <laughs> and we'll say it next week. Um, I mean, Revit is great anyway. It's one of my favourites. But I think when Sue breaks it down like that, you know, she, she paints a picture, doesn't she? Totally. And as usual, please tag us in any of your creations and beer pairing recommendations on this week's recipe at Hubs Pie People. We'd love to see what you come up with and hear your thoughts. Well, while we've finished drooling over that, we've got an interview now with Will Hawks, who's going to talk about mental health within the beer industry. So over to Will. Hi, if you could just kick us off by telling us a little bit about some of the measures pubs have taken in the past to promote good mental health. There's probably two ways in which they can be a force for good in terms of mental health. I think in terms of specific actions, uh, there are lots of pubs that do interesting things, which range from pubs like the Hollybush in Redbourne in Hertfordshire, which raises money for Mind, the mental health charity, through a series of different events, right up to somewhere like the Butler's Arms, which is in Pleasington in Lancashire, where the, the landlord, Michael Hales, has poured thousands 
thousands of pounds into a scheme called Blokes United. And, and Blokes United, as the name suggests, is a football scheme to help men who are struggling with mental health issues. And Mike Kales uh, found out about it a few years ago. And since then, he's been a big supporter of the scheme. He chips in for a variety of different things. And he also provides a place for the players to come back afterwards, have a bit of food, cup of tea, and, and most importantly, I think, a, a chat. And that is a really key way in which pubs can be helpful in terms of mental health, in that they do provide a space, uh, a warm, welcoming, happy space where people can come and interact on their own terms, you know, whatever their background, whatever their age might be. And they also, many pubs, as we know, have space where uh, local groups or organisations can meet, whether that be, you know, a yoga club or something else. And this stuff is absolutely crucial for, for people's mental health. I think one of the things lots of us have found over the past few months is how much you miss that sort of casual social interaction. And I think when you talk about that sort of stuff, pubs are absolutely at the centre of it. They are um, really, really important to a lot of people. I think over the last few years, we've perhaps come to understand more clearly this value that pubs have, that they do have, you know, significance not only culturally and not only as a, as a centre of, of communities, but also in a way we hadn't maybe appreciated in terms of mental health. I wrote an article for Cameras Beer magazine uh, about male mental health and pubs and breweries. And one of the most interesting uh, interviews I carried out was with a, a guy called Dr. Thomas Thurnell Reed, who's from Loughborough University. And he spent last year doing loads of research into pubs and loneliness, you know, and lots of stuff that he discovered. When you hear it, it makes sense, you know, for older people to be able to come down once or twice a week, have a pint, have a chat. That can be really valuable. You know, and publicans, people who work in pubs, are often hugely skilled in a way we don't appreciate there was a pub where someone was a former teacher and someone else was also a former teacher. And the, the barman kind of subtly put them together and they chatted and they made friends. That's got great value. And he also mentioned camera and how valuable that is to many people. He, he mentioned specifically a guy who he met on a bus on the way to the Great British Beer Festival one year who said that he loves it. He comes down every year. He loves to meet the same people. It's a really important thing for him and, it, and it's good for his, his mental health. So, you know, all those aspects of beer and pub culture, I think, are hugely valuable and perhaps something that we it would be well worth understanding a bit better. And is that something you're kind of looking to a bit further than? I think in the world of beer, people tend to say or tend to write about how much they like pubs and, you know, how the pubs might make them feel, their favourite beer, that sort of thing. But I think one thing that has been a problem over the past 20 years that pubs have been closing and there has been a narrative that, you know, maybe this is not such a bad thing because, you know, alcohol is bad for you, etc., etc. You know, alcohol taken in excess is bad for you. There's the other flip side of pubs is that is that community aspect and how good that is for all of us. You know, in an era when in some ways we're more isolated than we've ever been, I think to understand that aspect of why pubs are valuable is really important. And I think for some, for an organisation like Camera or anyone else, any individual who appreciates pubs and enjoys them, then that's worth thinking about, that aspect. 
And do you think that there's more that pubs could do with the mental health aspects of it? Because obviously, as you kind of alluded to, alcohol is a depressant. One interesting scheme that has grown and grown over the past few years is in Cornwall. There's a pub called the, the William IV in Truro, where the owners, uh, having had some experience with Samaritans, decided they wanted to run a sort of low-level but effective scheme to combat male suicide. So they started putting posters up in the men's toilets. The, the, the William IV is a St. Austell pub, and obviously St. Austell were impressed by the scheme, by the posters. And, you know, now you'll, you'll find those in 100, 150 of their pubs around Cornwall. You know, I think it's that understanding that the pubs are a place where people can maybe talk more freely or be more relaxed about some of those aspects that makes them valuable. And we don't talk as much as we should about these things, you know, and if pubs can take a sort of leading role in helping people to open up when they have these sort of problems, you know, I think that's great. The industry in general is starting to gear itself more towards helping not just you know people drinking in pubs, but people working in pubs that might suffer from mental issues as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that goes back to the William IV because the owners, they employ eight or nine people and they knew those eight or nine people, many of them are new people who'd, who'd suffered with, with mental health problems. You know, I think this idea of talking about it, an interesting project earlier this year was took place at Roosters where Ollie Fozard, who's one of the, the owners of the brewery, did a collaboration brew called Mind Games with a couple of other brewers, Salt and another brewery. And it was just about talking about these issues and appreciating that you're not alone, that other people have similar thoughts and that you know, the more you can speak about it, the more you can be open about it, often uh, the easier it can appear to deal with. And have you found pubs helpful yourself in, in the past? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think after the last four or five months we've all had, it's brought into much clearer sight just what the value of pubs are. I mean, I, I work from home, which in one sense is a wonderful thing. You know, I have... In, in normal times, I have an extremely calm environment. I can just get down to it. I can work, can do things on my own terms. But also there's no one else around. So if you've had a particularly productive or even frustrating week, to be able to go for a walk to a, a favourite pub, have a drink, a you know, change of environment, maybe a chat with someone, it does make a difference. For me, one thing I love to do when I have the time, which is you know perhaps only three or four times a year, is just to take a day to go walking in the countryside stop in at a few pubs and I often find when I come back from that you know in terms of the benefit for my mental health is huge and, and I think for those of us who who do enjoy pubs that is a crucial aspect and whichever way you choose to to use them they can be really really valuable that mental health and exercise thing goes hand in hand as well. And you've written a bit about sports and pubs in the past, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that goes back to Blokes United. The aspect about sports and pubs, which is interesting, uh, illustrates how crucial local pubs can be to community. So I read a report uh, last year about the amount of money that pubs pump into local sport. And I think we came to a figure of, of £40 million every year. But that works in a huge variety of ways. There are pubs which sponsor 10 or a dozen local sports teams. 
there are pubs where you'll find idiosyncratic local sports that have been played in that area, like Bat and Trap in East Kent, for example, for 300 years and basically nowhere else, which support those games and which keep them going and which bring people together. And there are pubs again, like the Butler's Arms in Pleasington, which support great schemes like Blokes United. So sport that pubs support, again, it's all about the ability to bring people together, to contribute to a relaxed, friendly and welcoming environment. And that's something that pubs can do, you know, almost better than anything else, just by their very nature. I'm guessing that you feel the future of pubs is vital um, to a lot of people's mental well-being because a lot of pubs are under quite serious threat at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think people don't necessarily appreciate it. And I think... You know, depending on where a pub is, depending on what community it serves, then pubs do need to evolve in a way that suits how society is changing. In certain parts of the country, it might be about food. Other parts of the country, it might be about becoming as, as much a, a grocery store as, as a pub. You know, w- w- with the way society has changed, the old model wet lead pub is very hard in certain parts of the country. In in city centres, it can still be a great model. But, you know, I think it's important that pubs survive because without them, we don't really have structures in society to do the job that they do in terms of providing support to people who need a chat now and again and helping people to be in a social space in a sort of non-pressured, non-stressful way that's really valuable. And, and when without pubs, I don't think we'd have many places that could do that. For me, one of the great things about going to my local is I can, I can go and I can sit in the corner and I can be left alone and, and that's fine. But also if I want to you know, chat to the people behind the bar, then I can and, and they're always willing to. And I think it's a very important part of just day-to-day life. I think that's one of the great things about pubs, and I agree with you. The ability to be in a social environment where people are enjoying themselves without necessarily feeling the pressure to be a part of it, like you say, to go and sit in the corner, have a nice beer, maybe read the paper. That can be a really, really enjoyable experience. And for people's mental health, you know, that has great value. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, some great stuff there again. What a great interview. And it's amazing to hear how much pubs have invested into improving access to help regarding mental health. From something as simple as a poster campaign, all the way through to creating new schemes targeting those in the local community. Mm, it is a shame that wet-led pubs are struggling the most and are the ones most impacted by COVID restrictions. Because I think, going back to uh, Professor Dunbar and the mentioned in the interview before, those are actually scenarios which offer the best opportunities for social interaction. However, as Will says, if the pub needs to evolve to survive so that they can still provide those hubs for people, I think many will jump at the opportunity. We've got now a quick story from Alison Taff. She runs a hop-in microbrewery and she's going to actually give us a bit of perspective from across the bar, especially during the lockdown period. So we'll have a little listen to Alison now. So at the hop-in, we're a relatively new micropub. We only opened in December of 2019. We're very much a neighbourhood place, off the high street in a residential area, albeit close to train and bus connections. But immediately we opened, we found people making contact with each other. Um, Being a small, intimate pub, people would be sharing tables, they'd be sitting close to each other, and very often they'd strike up conversations. 
And we went out of our way to get to know people, learn their names, what they like, and chat to them. But we also saw our regulars get to know each other. So during the March lockdown, we did local deliveries. So we were putting together boxes for people and delivering to them to their homes. And it was amazing when I was knocking on people's doors, leaving the boxes and then running down the path, sort of wave at them, just the reaction and the response, just smiles on people's faces, something new, something new to look at during the time when we were all really locked down hard at the beginning of March. So very much distanced, but still making connections, people chatting, asking how we were and all the rest. Um, then later on, we were a bottle shop and a takeaway and people started coming really regularly. So on their daily walk, they just pop in um, they come in one by one and they chat to us initially about the beers and what they'd enjoyed drinking yesterday, what they wanted from the stillage, trying new things. But also people really started talking to us about what else they were thinking and doing for their kids, their gardens, their projects in their gardens, their DIY that they were struggling with or enjoying, even what TV they were watching. So there were real connections still continuing. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons we got regular visits, just to keep those connections going. It was actually amazing for us because it meant that we could keep in touch with our regulars and our locals. In fact, there was one guy, one of our guests, that we were a bit concerned about because we hadn't seen him. Uh, we managed to make contact with him through and two other people to find out that he was okay, and he was, which is great, and he's now coming back to drink in the pub. So in July, when we reopened after lockdown, we had even less tables in the pub. So we only have eight tables now. Um, and our solo drinkers, who usually tend to come in the afternoons, they sit separately on completely different tables, but the banter is still there, and that's amazing. They still pull each other's legs, joke, and with us and with each other. So they may be sitting at separate tables, but the strong connection's still there. Just the other day, we had a couple a couple of couples, actually, sitting quite close to each other in terms of tables, but still quite distanced. But they sort of recognised each other somehow and then ended up chatting and ultimately realised that they'd been living next door to each other for 20 years, but they'd never really met and never spoke. And it ended up with the evening with them very much making that connection. And I'm absolutely certain that they'll be sharing a chat across the garden fence from here on in. So the connections that get made in pubs because of the convivial atmosphere and the hospitality um, are powerful. And in a little pub like ours, very much a local place, those connections really mean something. And as the uncertainty continues, with the pandemic and, and other things in the future, I feel like the pub has an even more vital role as time goes by. Wow, wasn't that lovely? Wasn't it really humbling? I think it really captures exactly how important pubs are to the community. Delivering boxes across the community, those smiles and hellos that you get in, in the lockdown, it just sounds so much more... I think the word I'm looking for is human. Is that what does that work? And it really shows how important the pub is to the local area. Alison has also put together a video guide for camera for people to learn how to pair cider with food, which is on our Learn and Discover resources. So you can hear a bit more from Alison directly by checking out camera.org.uk slash learn dash discover. I'll give that a bit of a go. I need to get back in with a cider crowd, don't I? <laughs> now, before we tie things up, it's time for us to have a quick dive into the archive. 
Indeedy. This week, we've gone back into the What's Brewing archives and have in front of us the front page from May 1989. And we are lamenting here because there's an advertising campaign from the Brewer Society which aims to, and I quote, put a smile back on the face of the pub by emphasising the happy local atmosphere. I mean, how dare they? (laughs) (laughs) The editor was clearly not impressed with the campaign. It was dubbed a million pound spend on posters and radio commercials for, you know, just promoting pub going. (laughs) (laughs) This went a different way than I thought it would do this article. I thought it was going to be a kind of a celebration of a, you know, a positive step, you know, to emphasize what what a pub gives you beyond beer. But it's gone completely the other way in those days. So it says, so on, on the article, it says in the campaign, there's people enjoying themselves down at the local with the strap line you should have been in the pub last night which I thought was quite quite nice but the editor's lamenting the loss of the traditional 1930 strap line from the campaign which was beer is best the issue reads this back in the days when you could really push a pint without fear of contradiction it allowed for much simpler and striking posters (laughs) (laughs) it really shows how much actually the switch from focusing specifically on alcohol to pubs as community hubs has really taken place over the last few decades and what a monumental shift that is now pub campaigning highlighting the community role of pubs is really core and central to camera and what we campaign for so found uh in the same issue a call to ban drinks ads in their entirety and apparently it was felt that drink ads built unjustified brand loyalty i mean that's 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 the way to get rid of my career's work you know, in a, in a sentence. Um, but as, kind of the point of marketing? Well, there we are. But, I mean, as exec member Tim Webb neatly puts it, and here I can't disagree, uh, he's got me here. He says, beer advertising is legalised BS. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> we always come across such gems in these archives. I love it. Well, folks, it is now time for us to kick off last orders. So, ding, 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 what have you two been drinking this week? <laughs> A lot of squash. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. She's had pints of <laughs> Actually, I had a bonfire night. I've had a very nice bonfire stout. Ooh. And it is from Drop Bear. Full flavoured, very smoky, really tasty, non-alcoholic alternative at just 0.4% ABV. I love that you're still finding stuff to drink. Well, I'm going to tell you about an experience, not just a beer that I had uh, this Ooh. week. So I, I was invited to a very special virtual beer and cheese tasting event. And it was hosted by Siren Craft Brew oh, and the wonderful. Stilton Cheesemakers mm. Association. Mm. Not I was on the very stone. jealous of this. <laughs> I was a bit nervous about how strong the cheese would be, and you know, and how how that would. But it was actually fantastic. Really educational about combining different beers with different food flavors, balancing sweeter cheeses with earthier, more bitter beers, um, and vice versa with, with stronger tasting cheese, maybe one to milder tasting beer. And so I just want to thank Siren for inviting me. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I also want to apologize to my wife because she couldn't hear her favorite program <laughs> on the TV because I had my headphones on and apparently I was just going, mmm, oh yes. <laughs> uh, even though I was on mute on the uh, <laughs> she said it was so loud she couldn't hear the show. So, uh, so sorry, Amy, my wife. Uh, I wonder um, what your neighbours must have thought you were up to. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, look at her. Just they just see the light of the laptop screen. I'm going. Mm. <laughs> yes. My top choice uh, was Siren's Twin Flamed Classic Red IPA, uh, which I've got to say was more of a cracker than the one I had my cheese on. <laughs> my beer of the week this week is one that actually came in my uh, VGBBF 
box, I, I came across it again and thought, oh, yes, please. And that is a Bateman's Victory Ale. Uh, some of our listeners will be very familiar with this one, but it's a nice filter, pasteurised, bottle-conditioned beer, full of flavours. It's got a lot of crystal malt in it, very fruity, nice and malty. I do like a malty beer this time of year. I got a few of those this week, and I've not been disappointed. I'm very impressed, Anne, that you still have beers left in your oh, GBBF no, no. I, box. I, I, did, I didn't say I had it left. I just said I remember it well. Oh, OK. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, beer boxes do not normally last me that long by any stretch. Well, before we head off, we're going to do a little shout out to some of our Twitter followers. We had Ed Quote the Raven, who read our last orders post in the voice of the podcast, Good. which um, I know Ant is lamenting. Can I just say it for what for old time's sake? I'm doing it anyway. Last orders. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we, had a, we had a little shout as well from James Waddington, says our interview with James Finch was fantastic and it's brilliant that camera are having these discussions to help educate beer drinkers here here james we also heard from dave basic who has been enjoying a hawkshead tiramisu imperial oh. stout at the brewery oh. tap recently what yeah that sounds right up my street <laughs> i mean we're talking one of my all-time favorite desserts there so oh. So oh good. My goodness me. Great stuff. <laughs> I am salivating. Right. Now, don't forget, folks, to join in for our next episode. We're back on the 17th of November, where we'll be investigating the science of beer with Oatley Brewery and J.W. Lee's. But don't worry. I know what you're thinking, but you're not going to need to bring your Bunsen burner or goggles for this one. It's a science <laughs> lesson with a difference. No, all right, I'll put them away. Yeah, now, <laughs> now as I was always, on standby. <laughs> I was on standby. I was there with my conical flask. Um, but, um, so, as always, I'll leave us with a quote. It might be the last quote. Nobody sent me one on Twitter yet. Oh. So, you know, but you're down, down to the last one. I'll leave us with a quote this time, which I found written on a wall in a pub in Leicester that I went to the other week. And it said, stop trying to make everyone happy. You're not beer. Love it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, for more information, dial 0744. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a, was this in the toilet for a good time? Call Gary. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that type of phone. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and with that, we salute you all. Cheers. Cheers. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Durges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. 
So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5and2.com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.